So what does the New Testament really say about the Jewish people and Jesus? It's time for The Line of Fire with your host, activist, author, international speaker, and theologian, Dr. Michael Brown, your voice of moral, cultural, and spiritual revolution. Michael Brown is the director of the Coalition of Conscience and president of Fire School of Ministry. Get into The Line of Fire now by calling 866-34-TRUTH. That's 866-34-TRUTH. Here again is Dr. Michael Brown. Hey friends, welcome to our Thoroughly Jewish Thursday broadcast. This is Michael Brown. We're going to be digging into the scriptures today. I won't be taking your phone calls or answering questions or even looking at what's happening in the larger Jewish world. We want to focus in on scripture and I want to alert you to the latest internet controversy. Uh, I, I was looking at our YouTube channel the other day and again, we get thousands of comments every month, you know, thousand or more comments a day just on YouTube. So I don't see the vast majority of them, but I do see some. And and I noticed a, a link saying, it looks like so-and-so is attacking you now or going after you now. I didn't know what the link was, just clicked out of curiosity. Of course, we posted it so others could see what, what people were saying against us. And it was, it was another ministry. I'd never heard of them. I'd never heard of any of the people involved with it. It's a big church out there, a big world out there, right? So I didn't know who they were. Uh, they had more YouTube subscribers than we do, and they seem to have a lot of people watching, so they obviously have a good following. I thought, who are these guys? They were calling me out and questioning me about the New Testament, and was I revi- trying to revise it or something? I thought, what? what in the world? And I just saw one clip. You know, I saw a headline and one clip, and it, at that moment, the guy said, Dr. Brown, if you're watching, you should be ashamed of yourself. I thought... Who are these guys? Don't know. So I clicked on their website. Normally, I I don't have time to be following through or trying to find out about this. Clicked on the website, and I'm not mentioning names yet. You'll understand why. And they were talking about their burden to make known the message of Yeshua, the Messiah. And I thought, all right, these are my good guys. What's going on here? So there was a place to contact them. I couldn't find any other place. I thought, okay, I'm just going to reach out, just brother to brother. I'd say, hey, what's going on? Uh, I saw some show. I haven't watched it, but you were coming after me for X, Y, Z reasons, and let's interact. So, you know, they said it's a few days before they get back to people. They don't have big staff or anything. So I- I'm giving it time before I mention anything publicly or interact with clips publicly because I, I want to reach out to these guys as brothers first. But the long and short of it is that since I wrote an article, an editorial in Times of Israel, about my debate with Rabbi Shmuley. And, and I said, there you can see why you should support my upcoming debate with Rabbi Shmuley Oteach, those of you who are watching this broadcast. So I explained that I had certain goals and certain things I'd be stating during the debate. I'm going to get into that in a moment. And one of the issues was this. We can read the New Testament rightly and understand it re- reflects an inner Jewish conflict. Jesus, Yeshua, the Jewish Messiah, being embraced by many of the Jewish people, being rejected by many of the leaders, him calling out the leaders for their hypocrisy, them being jealous of him, some of the leaders turning him over to be crucified by the Romans, then the book of Acts, the further confrontation, you did it in ignorance, so repent, and then the further guilt of rejecting the resurrected Messiah, but then many thousands of other Jews embracing Jesus. So this is an inner Jewish conflict. 
just like the prophets of Israel rebuked the Jewish people, they were Jews rebuking Jews. They were, they were Israelites rebuking Israelites. That's what happens in the New Testament. The others would say, no, no, no. The New Testament demonizes all Jews. The New Testament says all Jews are of their father, the devil. And the New Testament does this in the eyes of the Gentiles, thereby creating anti-Jewish sentiment. And others say, no, no, what it says is accurate, and all Jews are of their father, the devil, and it goes around and around. So one of my issues is, let's interpret the text correctly, and let's translate it correctly. We're not talking about revising it. We're not talking about changing it. We're not talking about doctoring it. And if folks had followed my work over the years, in volume one of Answering Jewish Objections to Jesus, which came out all the way back in 2000, almost 20 years ago, we laid out the academic argument, which is known by all New Testament translators and Greek scholars, that at certain points, the word Judaeus, Jews, should be translated Judean, or it should be translated Jewish leaders. And that in right context, this is how it would have been understood by early readers. We're not talking about changing anything. We're saying in light of how anti-Semites have misused the New Testament, let's make sure that we translate as accurately as we can. That's it. So I'm, I'm getting attacked for want to revise Zionist Jews, want to revise New Testament. What? What are folks talking about? It's so one thing if you talk about Rabbi Botaeach's position or others who think certain verses or late editions should, should be removed. No, the, the New Testament as we have it is God's inspired word. I bow down to it. It doesn't bow down to us. But, but let, me, let me give you an example of something, all right? I'm going to type in, oh, let's see here. Uh, I'm going to go to King James, okay? And let me get King James Bible up here. And I'm going to type in the word Jews, all right? And interestingly, oh, hang on. There we go. Uh, so let's, let's take a look in the book of Ezra, chapter 4. Be it known unto the king that the Jews which came up from thee to us are come unto Jerusalem. All right, so the Jews, all right, that, that works. Let's, let's take a look in Nehemiah 1. Uh, Hanani, one of my brethren, came, and he and certain men of Judah, and I asked them concerning the Jews that had escaped. Now I'm just looking at other translations. Uh, do they all say the Jews, or do some say uh, Judeans? Let's, let's go oh, over to the book of Jeremiah, chapter 38, verse 19 in the King James. It's, why is this everything freezing here? Anyway, it speaks of Zedekiah the king said unto Jeremiah, I'm afraid of the Jews that are fallen to the Chaldeans. Well, hang on. Zedekiah is the king of Judah. Zedekiah is the king of Judah. Tribes of Judah and Benjamin. He's the king of Judah. I'm afraid of the Jews... New King James says Jews, but CSB says Judeans. This is the Old Testament. ESV says Judeans. NET says Judeans. Uh, Complete Jewish Bible says Judeans. Tanakh, the New Jewish Publication Society, says Judeans. In other words, Yehudim in Hebrew can refer to the Judeans or it can refer to all Jews. But many times when it's used in the Old Testament, it is specifically referring to Judeans, those that were living in Judea, okay, specifically. It doesn't mean all Jews. It's the same in the New Testament. Scholars recognize this. Here, let me, let me give you an example. Let's go to John chapter 7, all right? John chapter 7. Now, remember, 
Okay, the Greek word for Judea is Judea. The Greek word for Jew is Judaeus. It's also the Greek word for Judean. You can hear it there. Okay, so let's look at John seven one. Read from the New King James. After these things, Jesus walked in Galilee, for he did not want to walk in Judea, because the Jews sought to kill him. Same in the CSB, same in the ESV, the NIV, because the Jewish leaders were looking for a way to kill him. Interestingly, NET, because the Jewish leaders were looking for a way to kill him. CJB, he intentionally was avoiding Yehuda because the Judeans were out to kill him. In the Greek, he was avoiding Yudaya because the Yudaioi were out to kill him. Shouldn't it be translated Judeans? He didn't want to go into Judea because the Judean Jews want to kill him. Now, they were Jews, right? But it's not all, it was, listen, the Jews wanted to kill him. That's why he was safe in Galilee among other Jews. What we're talking about is accurate translation. And in many cases in John's gospel, when it says the Jews, it means the Jewish leaders. And a first century reader would hear that and understand that and recognize it. And I'm saying you should translate accordingly. And here, if, if you keep reading in John 7, then it says next, in the next verse of a feast of the Jews. So there it's Jews. You have Judeans, you have Jews. It depends on the immediate context. So here, listen. No one is talking about changing the Bible. No one is talking about revising the scriptures. No one is talking about removing the responsibility from Jewish leaders who rejected Jesus in the first century, during his ministry, and after his resurrection. Our forefathers who did that, and I say this as a Jew, are guilty and brought judgment on themselves and brought about the destruction of the temple. No one is minimizing that. And every generation is responsible, Jew, Gentile, whoever we are, for what we do with Jesus Yeshua. And if we reject him, we are lost. If we reject him, we are under God's judgment, period. There's no mystery there. We've declared this loudly and clearly as we can for decades. The question is accuracy in translation. That's all. My, my academic training is in languages. My doctorate, my master's, my bachelor's, all in languages. I majored in Hebrew. I've, I've got a, a master's and PhD in Near Eastern languages and literatures. So, and a lot of what I devoted to was understanding words, specific words, and how they're used, and best ways to translate them. My doctoral dissertation was on one word. doesn't mean I'm right about everything. doesn't mean that you can't differ with me. It simply means that, that right translation has been important to me. When I did a fresh translation of the book of Job for my commentary, which is due out October, November, uh, it, was, it was very challenging. Job is, is the most difficult book in the Bible to translate, but I so honor the word and so fear God and, and want it to be as accurate as I could and, and yet try to capture the power and the readability. It's, it's very, very challenging. It's sacred work. And, and I hope my translation serves some good purpose and helps some readers, all right, as, as you read it along with other translations. But, but I don't know what people are reacting to. I'm trying to reach out privately. Mockers are going to mock. But I'm talking about brothers and sisters in the Lord having all kinds of issues. That is what 
I don't understand. And, and look, uh, once again, King James, New King James, CSB, ESV, all say the Jews were trying to kill him. Okay? He didn't want to walk in Judea because the Jews were trying to kill him. But the NIV says Jewish leaders. NET says Jewish leaders. NLT says Jewish leaders. If you look at the Syriac, the Peshitta, ancient translation of the Greek New Testament into, into Aramaic Syriac, uh, it says he didn't want to walk in Judea because the Judeans were seeking to kill him. Complete Jewish Bible. The Judeans were out to kill him. So all we're saying is let's, let's translate as accurately as we can so that the text cannot be misused by anti-Semites. That's all we're saying. Let's translate accurately. We'll be right back. God of light, hear our cry. It's the Line of Fire with your host, Dr. Michael Brown. Your voice of moral, cultural, and spiritual revolution. Here again is Dr. Michael Brown. Hey, friends, we're digging into the New Testament text again on this thoroughly Jewish Thursday. Michael Brown, welcome to the broadcast. Not taking calls today, but really trying to understand what the scriptures say. Look, throughout the Hebrew Bible, the Jewish people are rebuked by God, rebuked by the prophets rebuked by Moses. We are called stiff-necked. We are called hard-hearted. God tells Isaiah, write it down on a scroll forever. We're rebellious children. God tells Ezekiel, if you went to the Gentiles, they would listen, but my people won't listen. They're very, very strong indictments. Moses said, look, during my life, you've been rebellious. How much more once I'm gone? That's throughout the Hebrew Bible. It says we rejected the prophets. It says we killed the prophets. This is, this is found in our scriptures. I've been reading through the Bible in 90 days, did it a couple years ago just with an app, and it gives you like 15 chapters or so to read. So you're reading a lot, but you're reading more quickly, and then doing in-depth study at other times. And I had fallen slightly behind with travel. It was like a day and a half behind, so I was making it up. And then I thought, let me just keep reading even more, go ahead. So I ended up reading the book of Jeremiah in in two days, I guess, yeah, over, over the weekend. Uh, read read the book of Jeremiah. It's a devastating read. I wrote a commentary and I lived with Jeremiah for years, but it's a it's a devastating read. And we are guilty, 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 exiled because of our sin, yet loved by God, objects of his mercy and redemption, but judged, 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 guilty, guilty, guilty. The New Testament continues with that, speaking of the guilt in particular of the leadership. All right? So I'm not minimizing that. And I absolutely stand behind every word that Jesus spoke when he rebuked hypocritical leaders and called them snakes and vipers. He is the son of God. He sees into people's hearts. Things that look good on the outside don't look good on the inside when God looks on the inside and sees the corruption and the sin. So I'm not trying to change any of that. I'm not trying to minimize that. I, I grieve over it. That's the reality. That's why the temple was destroyed, and that's why we were exiled. We rejected the Messiah when he came. And when I say we, the national leadership, and then ultimately the nation, even though there were tens of thousands of Jews who followed Jesus, multiplied tens of thousands, according to Acts chapter 21, just in Jerusalem alone. But what's happened over the years is that people have misread what's in the uh, the New Testament. Anti-Semites have misquoted it 
and then misused it for their purposes. And sincere Christians who love the Lord and may love the Jewish people as well have also often misunderstood the text. And in my debate with Rabbi Shmuley, he brought up one of the texts that's commonly used, and I showed him how it's misinterpreted. So, so let's take a look in Matthew chapter 21. And here's what we normally hear. Jesus said that God would replace the Jews with the church. That God would replace the Jews with the church. This is what we commonly hear. So Matthew chapter 21, let's, let's look at the beginning of the chapter, and we're just going to go through. So it starts with Yeshua's triumphal entry, right? He comes into Jerusalem riding a donkey, people shouting, Hosanna to the, to, to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. All right? So this happens. Who is this? It's the prophet Jesus from Nazareth in Galilee. Then he goes from there into the temple, and he drives out those buying and selling. And he says, it's written, my house will be called the house of prayer, but you're making it a den of thieves. The blind and lame come to him, and he heals them. Verse 15, when the chief priests and the scribes, I'll read from the, the TLV, when the ruling Kohanim, the priests and Torah scholars saw the wonders he performed, the children crying out in the temple and saying, Hoshiana to Ben David. So praise to the son of David. They became indignant. And they said to him, do you hear what these children are saying? Yes, Yeshua said to them, haven't you ever read out of the mouths of babes and nursing toddlers you have prepared praise for yourself? Then he left them and went out of the city to Bethany and he spent the night there. Okay, then there's the cursing of the fig tree. A demonstrating of God's power. Now, some claim that the fig tree represented Israel and that he cursed the fig tree forever, saying you'll never bear fruit again. But then we know in the Olivet Discourse, he speaks of the fig tree budding. I don't believe this is a symbol of Israel anyway, all right? But he demonstrates his power, curses the fig tree. And now, verse 23, when he entered the temple, the ruling Kohanim, the priests and the elders of the people came to him while he was teaching, saying, but what authority are you doing these things? Who gave you this authority? And then he challenges them, reveals their hypocrisy. They, they won't speak openly and honestly. All right, he's not going to tell them by what authority he does this. But notice he's having a conflict with the religious leaders. Okay, now, verse 28. Now, what do you think? A man had two sons. He went to the first and said, son, go work in the vineyard today. The son answered, I won't. But afterwards, he had a change of heart and went. The man went to the second son and said the same thing, but he answered, I will, sir, and didn't go. Which of the two did the will of the father? The first, they said. Yeshua said to them, I may not tell you, the tax collectors and prostitutes are going ahead of you into the kingdom of God. So who's he rebuking? The, the leaders, the leaders, the leaders. For John came to you in the way of righteousness, and you did not believe him. But the tax collectors and prostitutes, who the Jewish tax collectors and the Jewish prostitutes did believe him. And even after you saw this, you had no change of heart to believe him. Listen to another parable. There was a master of a household who planted a vineyard. He put a hedge around it, dug a wine press in it, and built a tower. Then he leased it to some tenant farmers and went out on a journey. Now, when fruit season drew near, he sent his servants to the tenants to collect his fruit. But grabbing his servants, the tenants beat up one, killed another, and stoned still another. Again, the master sent out other servants, and even more than the first, and they did the same thing to them. Finally, he sent his son to them, saying, they will respect my son. But when the tenants saw the son, they said among themselves, this is the heir. Come on, let's kill him and get his inheritance. So grabbing him, they threw him out of the vineyard and killed him. Therefore, when the master of the vineyard comes, what shall he do to those tenants? He will bring those miserable men to a miserable end, they said to him, and will lease the vineyard to other tenants who gave him his share of the fruits in their seasons. Yeshua said to them, 
Have you never read in the scriptures the stone which the builders rejected? This has become the chief's cornerstone. This came from Adonai, the Lord, and it is marvelous in our eyes. Therefore I say to you, to who? Who is he talking to? The leaders that he's been rebuking. The kingdom of God will be taken from you and given to people producing its fruits. Whoever falls on the stone will be shattered, but the one upon whom it falls, it will crush him. Now, this is commonly quoted, verse 43, that Jesus took the kingdom from the Jews and gave it to the Gentiles, gave it to the church, which is mainly Gentile. But, but notice verse 45, when the ruling Kohanim, when the ruling priests and Pharisees heard Yeshua's parables, they realized he was talking about them, them, the leaders, the Pharisees. He was talking about them. Although they were trying to seize him, they feared the crowds. What crowds? The Jewish crowds. Because they, who? The Jewish crowds, the people, regarded him as a prophet. And who is the leadership taken from? It's taken from the Pharisees. It's taken from the, the, the ruling priests. It's taken from the Torah scholars. And it's given to who? The Jewish apostles. So this had nothing to do with the, the, the kingdom being taken from the Jews and given to the Gentiles. It had to do with the kingdom being taken from corrupt leaders, hypocritical leaders, sinful leaders, proud leaders, whatever the case was, taken from them and given to a people who bear its fruit. And who were all the first ones among those people? Jews. Yeah, ultimately, the ecclesia, the Messianic congregation, the church, becomes mainly Gentile, predominantly Gentile, overwhelmingly Gentile. Right. But the transference had nothing to do with Jew to Gentile. It had to do with taking from corrupt Jewish leadership to giving it and giving it to godly Jewish leadership. Oh, and, and, and the crowds that revered Yeshua were Jewish crowds. Here, uh, here. P- picture something like this, okay? Picture, I'm not comparing Trump to Jesus. I'm not comparing Republicans to Jews, okay? But just picture this. You have Donald Trump and a massive rally, and he's got 20,000 of his supporters there wearing MAGA hats, okay? And you have the elite within the Republican Party, and they want to dump him. And, and they're, they're going to try to pull him out and, and silence him and, and, and just get him off the platform. But they're afraid to do it because of the crowds. Now, if I said the Republicans wanted to take down Donald Trump, that would be a misstatement because the crowd was a Republican crowd. The Republican people, the crowds, the masses, they loved him. And the elite, I'm just giving you an imaginary scenario here. The elite leaders, the, the inner circle, the, the key ones, they wanted to take him down. So was the issue with the Republicans or with the Republican leaders who were against Trump? Again, in my analogy here. In the same way, the, the problem as a whole was not with the Jewish people. The Jewish people. The Jew, no, no. problem was with the Jewish leadership. The Jewish leadership. Now, not all. You have a Pharisee like Nicodemus. You have a Pharisee like Joseph of Arimathea. You have a few who are mentioned specifically who are godly, God-fearing. You have Simon the Pharisee in Luke 7, and Jesus eats in his home, even though there's a word of correction for him, he eats in his home. You have the Pharisees in Luke 13 who warned Jesus, you know, Herod's trying to kill you. All right? So not all Pharisees were bad, but many were hypocritical, and Jesus exposed them. And many of the leaders were hypocritical. It says that, that Pilate 
saw that the leaders wanted to turn Jesus over out of envy. We see in the book of Acts, the Sanhedrin, many of the leaders envious, and, and that's what's causing the concern. All right? But it wasn't the people as a whole. The people as a whole were listening to Stephen preach in Acts 6 and being ministered to by God through him, the Jewish people, and the leadership ultimately kills him. Okay? In, in a frenzy. So the issue was primarily with the sinning leaders. And, and therefore, when in context, when, for example, John 9, when you read it through, that when it says the Jews, almost, almost every reference there means the Jewish leaders, the Jewish leaders, not the Jews as a whole. And, and again, reading it through first century eyes and hearing it through first century ears, these things would make sense. All we want to do is rightly understand it, rightly interpret it. So you hear, I'm not minimizing the guilt of our leaders and the guilt of our people that rejected the Messiah. I'm simply saying, let's translate and interpret accurately. We'll be right back. It's The Line of Fire with your host, Dr. Michael Brown. Get into The Line of Fire now by calling 866-34-TRUTH. Here again is Dr. Michael Brown. Hey friends, this is Michael Brown, and you are watching, listening to, taking and absorbing The Line of Fire broadcast. It is Thoroughly Jewish Thursday. We are digging into the scriptures and asking the question, what does the New Testament say about the Jewish people, and Jesus. Who's guilty? Who's not? Can we just make the statement, the Jews killed Christ? Or is, is that an overstatement? But let's take a look at the way things are preached. Peter, a Jew, preaching to other Jews in the book of Acts. Let's start in Acts chapter 2, all right? Acts chapter 2. And Peter is explaining that what's happening at Pentecost, Shavuot, the outpouring of the Spirit, this is that which Joel spoke about. And then he says this. Let's scroll down to verse 22. Acts chapter 2, verse 22. Men of Israel, hear these words. Yeshua HaNatsrati, Jesus of Nazareth, a man authenticated to you by God with mighty deeds and wonders and signs God performed through him in your midst, as you yourself know. This Yeshua, given over by God's predetermined plan and foreknowledge, Nailed to the cross by the hand of lawless men, you killed. So on the one hand, he's saying he was nailed to the cross by the hand of lawless men, the Romans, but you're responsible. You killed him. All right, so he's speaking to leaders in Israel and to his people there in Jerusalem, many of whom saw Jesus, saw his miracles, and rejected him. But God raised him up, releasing him from the pains of death, since it was impossible for him to be held by it. Then he goes on quoting how the Messiah died in accordance with Scripture and rose from the dead and how David prophesied this. So, verse 32. This Yeshua God raised up, we're all witnesses. Therefore, being exalted to the right hand of God and receiving from the Father the promise of the Ruach HaKodesh, the Holy Spirit, he poured out this, which you now see and hear, where David did not ascend into the heavens, yet he himself says, Adonai said to my Lord, so Yahweh the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. Therefore, that the whole house of Israel know for certain that God has made him, this Yeshua whom you had crucified, both Lord and Messiah. All right, so they're cut to the heart. He calls on them to repent, be immersed in the name of Jesus, the Messiah, for the removal of sins. They'll receive the gift of the Spirit. The promise is theirs. Okay, so he speaks to the 
people as a whole and holds them responsible as a nation. And obviously because the leaders acted and gave Jesus over to be crucified. And, and you had some in the crowd complicit with this, one crowd shouting, his blood be on us, etc., and on our children. So Peter indicts the people, all right? It's him speaking immediately afterwards to his people, but saying, repent, and, and God will have mercy. Okay, now let's go to the third chapter. There's been the miraculous healing of a lame man. He's there in Jerusalem. He's speaking to the people of Jerusalem, leaders and, and the people as a whole. Let's go to Acts chapter 3, and, and let's notice the language that's used there. Uh, we'll scroll down to verse uh, 12 as the people come crowding around after the layman's heal. When Peter saw, he responded to the people, men of Israel, why are you amazed at this? Why do you stare at us as if by our own power godliness we'd made this man walk? The God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, the God of our fathers, has glorified his servant Yeshua, the one you handed over and disowned before Pilate, though he decided to release him. But you rejected the holy and righteous one and asked for a murder to be granted to you. You killed the author of life, the one God raised from the dead. We are witnesses of it. Now through faith in the name of Yeshua, his name was strength. This man, his, his name has strengthened this man, whom you see and know. Indeed, the faith through Yeshua has given this man perfect health in front of you all. Now look at this, verse 17. Now, brothers, I know that you acted in ignorance just as your leaders did. But what God foretold through the mouth of all of his prophets that his Messiah was to suffer, so he is fulfilled. Repent, therefore, and return so your sins may be blotted out. And then, down verse 25, you are the sons of the prophets and also of the covenant that God cut with your fathers, saying to Abraham, in your seed shall all the families of the earth be blessed. God raised up his servant and sent him first to you to bless you all by turning each of you from your wicked ways. So the promises remain, the desire to bless the whole world, through the seed of Abraham remains, now that the Messiah has come to bring that promise to fruition, all right? And he says, uh, you did it, but you acted in ignorance. So that is a New Testament statement, all right? It does not indict all Jews worldwide, but speaking to the Jews of Jerusalem, obviously there are others gathered there, but he's speaking in particular to those who were involved with this, okay? You gave him over to Pilate, you disowned him, you asked for murder, you killed the author of life. By giving him over to Pilate to death, you're responsible for his death. But you did it in ignorance. So the bigger issue now is the rejection of the risen Messiah. Because he's saying, you gave him over in ignorance. It was sin, but you didn't know who, you didn't fully understand what you were doing. That's what he means by ignorance, right? Doesn't Paul say of himself that God had mercy on him because he acted in ignorance and unbelief? Do we have that same posture today? The Jews killed Jesus. Do we have that same posture that Peter did saying, you acted in ignorance and God wants to bless you? So if you're going to preach the New Testament, preach it holistically. Yes, God holds the Jewish people responsible, in particular for the actions of the leaders, right? just like Old Testament Israel, as the kings were godly, the nation was godly, the kings were ungodly, the nation was ungodly, broadly speaking, all right? and God judged accordingly. Well, here, even though the people hailed Jesus as a prophet, obviously they did not rise up together to, to stop him being turned over crucified. Many probably didn't even know what was happening, what was going on. But the leaders are responsible, therefore the nation is responsible. But Peter says you acted in ignorance. Now, take a look with me in 1 uh, Timothy, excuse me, 
1 Timothy chapter 1, as Paul is sharing his own story, all right? 1 Peter, excuse me, 1 Peter, 1 Timothy, it's Paul. 1 Timothy, as Paul is telling his story. 1 Timothy 1, 12, I give thanks to Messiah Jesus our Lord who has strengthened me because he considered me faithful, appointing me to the ministry. One who was formerly a blasphemer, a blasphemer, a persecutor, and a violent man, yet I was shown mercy because I had acted ignorantly in unbelief. The grace of our Lord overflowed with faith and love that are in Messiah Yeshua. Trustworthy is the saying and deserving of complete acceptance. Messiah Yeshua, Jesus the Messiah, came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am foremost. He's in particular, speaking of what he did in the past as the chief of sinners, persecuting, even killing other believers. But he said, I acted in ignorance and unbelief, so God had mercy on me. That's God's posture towards the Jewish leaders and the people of Israel in the book of Acts. You acted in ignorance, God wants to have mercy on you, so repent and turn. That becomes the big issue. Not holding them forever responsible for the death of Jesus, but saying you were complicit in his death, you were held responsible for killing him, but you did it in ignorance, so repent, so God can have mercy on you. All we want, friends, is for the scriptures to be rightly interpreted and rightly quoted. And when you just make the blanket statement, the Jews are Christ killers, that means all Jews at all time, all generations, what does that mean? All right, go with me to, well, tell you what, uh, let me go into an article that I wrote. We've quoted from this previously, but it was an editorial in Times of Israel. I just want to revisit what's there. I, I explained what I was going to present at my debate with Rabbi Shmuley. And, and here are the points I was going to make. Number one, professing Christians have misused and abused certain passages in the New Testament to justify their anti-Semitism, just as they have misused and abused certain passages in the Tanakh, the Old Testament, to justify their hate. All right? So yes, the New Testament indicts Jewish people for various things, as the Old Testament indicts Jewish people for various things, and also reiterates the promises to the Jewish people and God's love for the Jewish people. Number two, the New Testament is a book about a Jewish rabbi named Yeshua, and it proclaims that salvation is from the Jews, John 4.22. This is why Nazi theologians had to excise key passages from the New Testament when they produced their own edition. Number three, courageous Christians like the Ten Boom family, who risked or even lost their lives during the Holocaust to shelter Jews in Holland, along with Israel supporting Christians around the world, are philo-Semitic precisely because of their biblical heritage. They read the Old Testament, they read the New Testament, and they don't hate Jews, they love Jews. And they want to see them saved through faith in Jesus. Number four, tensions in the New Testament reflect similar early Jewish writings in which conflicting groups are sharply rebuked. So the Dead Sea Scrolls rebuke outside Jewish groups. So the Jewish writers of the Dead Sea Scrolls rebuke outside Jewish groups in the harshest ways. And, and Josephus, the Jewish historian, re rebukes other Jewish groups as a Jewish historian in the harshest ways. Number five, for generations, anti-Semites have quoted selections from the Talmud, accusing the rabbis of sanctioning every imaginable crime and perversity, yet it's only by misunderstanding these texts that they can be used to fuel the fires of anti-Semitism. It's the same with the New Testament writings. In other words, if, if the rabbis want to say, well, you're misinterpreting the Talmud, you're taking lines out of context, you don't understand what the rabbis were saying, 
They're not promoting this. They're not promoting that. Okay. If you as a Jew, a rabbi, want to be able to say that, well, then as followers of Jesus, as as Christians, as followers of Jesus, we're going to say, well, you're misinterpreting the New Testament to make all Jews of all time guilty for the crucifixion of Jesus. And then lastly, in light of the horrible history of, quote, Christian anti-Semitism, it's imperative that we support improved translations that will make it more difficult for Christian anti-Semites to misuse their sacred texts. Improved translations. Doesn't everyone want improved translations? I mean, except for those that think that the King James is perfectly inspired or some other version is perfectly inspired. Don't we all want the best possible translation? We're not talking about changing the text. We're talking about improving our understanding of the text. Just like an example I gave in the first half hour of the show, where you have verses in Jeremiah, where King Zedekiah, the king of Judah, is afraid of the Jews, who had already gone into exile, already taken captive by the Babylonians. He's afraid of the Jews. No, the Judeans, all right, specifically the people right there in in, in Judah, and and not from other tribes. He was specifically concerned about them and how they were going to treat him if he went into captivity. So right there within the Old Testament, as many translations recognize, sometimes or, or Nehemiah, he's there, and he's got this group, this group, and the Jews. Well, and Nehemiah's a Jew. They're all Jews. <clears throat> Excuse me. They're all Jews. But, but some were specifically Judean Jews. And, and Yehudi, first and foremost, meant someone from the province of Judah, and then secondarily, a Jew. Right? So Eudaios, in Greek, first meant someone from the province of Judea, Judea, Judean. And then secondarily, a Jew. And then in some cases, a Jewish leader. All we're saying is, translate it accordingly. Is is that too much to ask? Let me clear my throat, and we will be right back as we continue digging into the Word of God. Stay right here. It's the Line of Fire with your host, Dr. Michael Brown, your voice of moral, cultural, and spiritual revolution. Here again is Dr. Michael Brown. Welcome, welcome to the Line of Fire. This is Michael Brown. It's thoroughly Jewish Thursday. I'm not taking your calls, but we're, we're reading Scripture together. We're asking about how we should translate certain words. Back in 2000, in Volume 1 of Answering Jewish Objections to Jesus, I countered the objection that the New Testament itself is anti-Semitic by simply saying, let's look at how we translate certain words according to the best Greek scholarship. Let's look at how we interpret certain passages in in terms of sound, exegetical, hermeneutical rules, sound rules of interpretation. Let's just be accurate in our use of Scripture. It's not to deny Jewish complicity in rejecting Jesus. It's not to deny Jewish guilt in rejecting Jesus. It's not to say that the second temple was not destroyed because of Jewish rejection of Jesus. It was. It was. The New Testament is very clear on that. I've been very clear on that. And of course, Jews need Jesus like everybody else to be saved. They they don't have a separate covenant. You can't, as a Jew, reject the Jewish Messiah and reject God's mercy through the Messiah and still, still be accepted in God's sight, obviously. And we've said that over and over. There's no other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved other than the name of Jesus Yeshua. He is the way to the Father, period. That's known. That's, that's why we preach. That's why we debate rabbis. That's why we put out apologetics volumes and courses and everything else. Okay. So let's, let's just take a look in John chapter 9. John chapter 9. All right. Uh, 
and, and just to ask yourself, what's the best way to translate Jews there? Is it always Jews? Is it ever Jewish leaders? Is it ever Judeans? How should we translate it? I'm going to read for the Tree of Life, all right? But then I'm going to alternate with, oh, let's say, let's grab the ESV, okay? I'll, I'll, I'll do the ESV and we'll, we'll read it alternately there, okay? So we'll put, for those watching, we'll put TLV on the screen and I'll read ESV. As he passed by, Jesus passed by, he saw a man blind from birth. And his disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Jesus answered, it was not that this man sinned or his parents, but that the works of God might be displayed in him. We must work the works of him who sent me while it's day, night is coming when no man can work. As long as I'm in the world, I'm the light of the world. Having said these things, he spit on the ground, made mud with the saliva, then he anointed the man's eyes with the mud and said, go wash in the pool of Siloam, which means sent. So he went and washed and came back seeing. Now, why does Yeshua do this? Why does Jesus take mud, uh, dirt, spit on it, turn into mud, put it on the guy's eyes? Well, mud was used medicinally in the ancient world, but obviously mud is not going to heal someone's eyes born blind. But this was a Sabbath. And Jewish tradition, as we know from a couple centuries later, said that this was work. If you applied medicine that was not emergency on the Sabbath, that was work, and you couldn't do that. Or if you, if you turned dirt, you know, kneaded dirt, made it into, into mud, right, for building purposes, things like that, that was work. So I believe, and many scholars believe, that Jesus intentionally violated some of the Jewish traditions of the day to highlight how these traditions had taken away from the meaning of the Sabbath, which was a day of liberty and rest, and instead had become a day that was also mixed with man-made traditions. So the neighbors and those who had seen him before as a beggar were saying, is not this the man who used to sit and beg? Some said it is he, others said no, but he's like him. He kept saying, I'm the man. So they asked him, remember, these are all Jews here. The Jewish man healed, Jewish crowd. Then how are your eyes open? He answered, the man called Jesus made mud and anointed my eyes and said to me, go to Siloam and wash. So I went and washed and received my sight. They said to him, where is he? He said, I do not know. They brought to the who? The Pharisees. So some of the religious leaders, right? One particular religious group. They brought to the Pharisees, the man who had formerly been blind. Who? So the Jewish crowd, the Jewish people, bring this man to the Pharisees. That was a Sabbath day when Jesus made the mud and opened his eyes. So the Pharisees again asked him how he'd received the sight. He said to them, put mud on my eyes and I washed and I see. Some, not all, some of the Pharisees said, this man is not from God, for he does not keep the Sabbath. But others, other who? Other Pharisees said, how can a man who is a sinner do such signs? And there was a division among them. So the Pharisees here are not totally united at this point against Yeshua. There's a division among them. So they said again to the blind man, what do you say about him since he has opened your eyes? He said, he's a prophet. The Jews did not believe that he had been blind and had received his sight until they called the parents of the man who had received his sight. How does it read in the TLV? But the Judean leaders didn't believe that he had been blind and received his sight until they called his parents. Now, now remember, you're having a division right there among the Pharisees. And some are saying, yeah, this must be God. And others saying, can't be God. All right, so King James the Jews, New King James the Jews, CSB the Jews, ESV the Jews. Uh, NIV just says they, 
and E.T. Now, the Jewish religious leaders refuse to believe. Ah, NLT, the Jewish leaders, the Peshitta, Syriac, the Judeans, complete Jewish Bible, the Judeans. I think the best way to translate is Jewish leaders, because that's, you got the other Jews believing, you got division among the Pharisees, so it seems to be focused here on Jewish leaders. Okay, so we, we go back to reading. The Jews did not believe, better to translate this as the NET and others, the Jewish leaders did not believe that he had been blind and had received the sight, until they called the parents of the man who had received the sight, and asked them, is this your son who you say was born blind? How then does he now see? His parents answered, we know that this is our son and that he was born blind, but how he now sees we do not know, nor do we know who opened his eyes. Ask him, he is of age, he'll speak for himself. His parents said these things because they feared the Jews, for the Jews had already agreed that if anyone should confess Jesus the Christ, to be Christ, he was to be put out of the synagogue. Well, well ha hang on. Let's read it in the TLV, all right? Verse 22, his parents said this because they were afraid of the Judean leaders, all right? NET would say Jewish religious leaders, for the Judean leaders had already agreed that anyone professed Yeshua to be Messiah would be thrown out of the synagogue. That's why his parents said he's old enough. So when you read this, remember, his parents who are Jews, we know this is our son, our Jewish son that was born blind, but they're not willing to say that he was miraculously healed, you know, what happened, because they were afraid that they Jews would be put out of the synagogue by, who? by the Jewish leaders. Doesn't it make sense? Especially when passages like this have been interpreted to demonize all Jews and to make the Jews guilty whereas you have a dispute among Jews with a Jewish man being healed and Jewish parents and a Jewish crowd and some of the Pharisees saying this, this man must be from God and others saying he can't be from God. Doesn't it make sense since one of the lexical options, one of the dictionary options for the word Eudias in Greek is Jewish leader, want to translate as such. Doesn't that make sense, even contextually? So verse 24, so for the second time, they called the man who had been blind, said to him, Give glory to God, we know that this man is a sinner. He answered, who? Jewish man answered, Whether he's a sinner, I do not know. One thing I do know, that though I was blind, now I see. They said to him, What did he do to you? How did he open your eyes? He answered them, I've told you already, and you'd not listen. Why do you want to hear it again? Do you also want to become his disciples? And they reviled him, saying, You are his disciple, but we're disciples of Moses. We know that God's spoken to Moses, but as for this man, we don't know where he comes from. The man answered, Well, this is an amazing thing. You don't know where he comes from, then he opened my eyes. We know that God does not listen to sinners. I mean, this guy's preaching here, this former blind man. But if anyone is a worshiper of God and does his will, God listens to him. Never since the world began has it been heard that anyone opened the eyes of a man born blind. If this man were not from God, he could do nothing. They answered him, you were born in utter sin, and would you teach us? And they cast him out. Jesus heard that they had cast him out, and having found them, he said, do you believe in the Son of Man? He answered, And who is he, sir, that I may believe in him? Jesus said to him, You have seen him, and it is he who is speaking to you. He said, Lord, I believe, and he worshipped him. Jesus said, For judgment I came into this world, so that those who do not see may see, and those who see may become blind. Some of the Pharisees, doesn't even indict all the Pharisees here. Some of the Pharisees near him heard these things and said to him, Are we also blind? Yeshua said to them, If you were blind, you would have no guilt. But now that you say, We see your guilt, remains. Okay, so 
my simple proposal in a passage like this, and I have excellent backing from other Greek scholars and New Testament interpreters, is when it says the Jews, right here in the middle of John 9, since it's talking about an incident among Jewish people with a Jewish man who was born blind and Jewish parents and other Jews saying he's been healed and some of the Pharisees saying we don't believe it, the man's a Sabbath breaker, and other Pharisees saying, hey, how could he do this if he wasn't, if it wasn't from God? Who can open the eyes of the blind? Why not? Where it says the Jews translate either like TLV, the Judean leaders, all right, or simply the Jewish religious leaders. Because that's who's involved. Those are the ones who said, if anyone professes Jesus as the Messiah, they'll be put out of the synagogue. Who? Jewish leaders. It's not even all the Pharisees here. It's some of the Pharisees. John's very specific on it. So there are other translations, a number of which I read to you, that have already done this. We don't want to rewrite the New Testament. It says what it says. And Jewish leaders were guilty of rejecting the Messiah. And the nation as a whole was held responsible for rejection of the Messiah. And God's desire was to have mercy on them because they acted in ignorance and called them to repent. When they wouldn't repent, now they are fully owning their guilt. I'm not minimizing that. I'm simply saying when we can tra translate more accurately, so texts cannot be misused by anti-Semites and others, we ought to do it. And if that's how a first century hearer or reader would have understood it, shouldn't we be sensitive to that in our translations today? That's our point. That's our goal. The Bible says what it says. We need Jesus to be saved. Let's speak the truth as accurately as we can and let the chips fall where they may.